this is um, visit number three from Brother Bruce to preach at Midway. And I'm so happy, happy to welcome him back here today. In the course of our uh, interchange, he talked, I asked him about what a, how being a journalist helps a person become a pastor. And he said that, and I would affirm this, that being a journalist lets you speak with a lot of different kinds of people. You're assigned to cover stories to places and groups you would never go on your own. Because you didn't want to go there, or you'd be afraid to go there, or you thought they would never accept you. But if you go asking questions and give coverage, they'll talk to you. That's given him a good insight into how to reach different groups and what they care about and how that can be part of being an evangelist is knowing how to use the words and ideas that, that, they, that they're concerned about. So hopefully, uh, he's been here twice before. He knows what kind of things that the God need, needs to give us. So, Brother Bruce, you can speak to us at this point. Charlie can read scripture next, yep. I'll be reading Psalm 2 from the English Standard Version. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Terry, uh, good morning brothers and sisters. How are you all doing this morning? Uh, as, uh, Brother Greg already said, uh, this is my third time being here. Always a joy uh, to be here. Pastor Matthew is a dear friend, uh, and I'm always encouraged to open God's word uh, with us. So I'm eager to preach, and uh, we'll do just that. So bow your heads with me as we, as we pray. Lord, we humble ourselves uh, as we come uh, before you, opening your word. Lord, we ask and pray that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we acknowledge, even as we open your word, that you know way more than we do. Uh, we acknowledge that you are sovereign and we are not. Uh, we acknowledge that indeed you are God and we are not. So, Lord, speak to us. Open up our hearts to receive from your word and uh, encourage us in the path of righteousness and truth. We love you. We thank you. It's through your son's name we pray these things. Amen. I'll read a quote for us as I begin this morning from... Uh, page two of the Reader's Digest edition of April 1986. Uh, it read, Shall we watch the six o'clock news 
and get indigestion or wait for the 11 o'clock news and have insomnia. Indeed, many of us uh, can actually ask the same question today. None of us in this room, uh, brothers and sisters, would dispute the, the chaos that we see all around us, the, the social unrest, uh, the political turmoil, the political instability, and, and outright insanity, uh, frankly, all over the world. And uh, in, in the same way, this could also give us perhaps some indigestion and insomnia too. Indeed, many people today have sleepless nights and long days pondering the question of why are things so bad, right? Uh, and asking the question after that, who actually controls this show? Who runs this show? Uh, if things are so bad around us, where do we turn to, they ask. Uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 actually open the door to the rest of the Psalms uh, in both uh, the sequential position but also the, the doctrinal content in them. Uh, they stand as the gateway into rest of the Psalms. The first uh, Psalm contrasts two ways, right? The, the righteous way and the ways of the wicked. Uh, but the second Psalm contrasts two kingdoms, uh, the two worlds or the two worldviews, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth. The first Psalm looks at the individual personal life, while the second Psalm looks at a corporate national life. And both Psalms present contrasting attitudes towards God's law or God's word. In the first Psalm, the righteous person loves the law and is able to stand under the judgment of God. But the wicked person hates it. He cannot survive under God's judgment. In the second Psalm, righteous leaders submit to it and they receive favor from God while wicked leaders seek to throw, throw it off and indeed receive his wrath. In a world that seems to be going crazy, I think Psalm 2 helps us to answer the question, who actually runs this show, right? The words of Psalm 2 show us that whatever the case might be concerning man's rebellion, God will have the last words. So let me ask us a question as we begin here. Are you concerned that somehow God will be pushed to the margins and that the future of the Christian faith is bleak? Friends, the main idea of Psalm 2 is that the author of our faith, who is God himself, not only rules and controls the outcome of things in the world, but that he has a plan. And this plan will be executed by his king. And we're going to see three movements in this text, right? In verses, two, uh, verses 1 and 3, David begins to raise this question about the chaos in the world. And the kings and the rulers come forth in a chorus to say their lines. We'll see in the first three verses that people in the world hate God. But in verses 4 to 6, we see how God is calmly sitting on the throne and he speaks against his rulers. He is not fretting because God is in control and he will indeed deal with rebels. And in the third part, we see in verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9, God's anointed one speaking. And he begins to reveal God's decree and how God will deal with these rebels. In verses 10 and 12, 
the psalmist speaks again, giving a closing appeal. Mercy is extended towards the rebels. And I'm going to combine the third and the fourth parts together for the purposes of our time together. All right, let's, let's look at uh, this together. Let's look at verses 1 and 3. I'm using the, the ESV uh, translation of the Bible. And I'll reread verse 1 to 3 for us. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. On one level, the rebellion that is described here, friends, has to do with the vassal nations, the Syrians and the Ammonites that were rebelling against David in 2 Samuel chapter 10. But what this also means is that there is a worldwide unity against rebelling uh, against God. There is opposition against God's anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, want, I want us to see how this plays out today. We, we can see from the current, current political trends, both in the rest of the world, indeed in, in Washington, D.C., that uh, kings and leaders barely agree on anything, right? They, they probably wouldn't agree on the color of the sky. But they are united around this one thing. They are united as they plot against the Lord and as they plot against his anointed. We would also agree that people of different races and tribes and languages and nationalities are constantly fighting. But you know what they seem to be united on? Opposition to God. Now, when we think about people hating and being opposed to God, we think quickly about people being vehemently anti-God. But we know from the scriptures that people are born by their very nature in opposition to God. So when Adam and Eve, our great forefathers uh, and forefather and mother, disobey God, they introduce long-lasting rebellion against God amongst human beings. We see this culminating all the way to Genesis 11 on the Tower of Babel. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. By our very nature as human beings, we are rebellious towards God. In fact, the early church recognized this particular psalm as being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ as they began to process the persecution that they were going through. If you can turn to Psalm X, X chapter 4 uh, with me, verses 23 to 31, uh, I'll read a couple of verses from there. It says, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now they begin to quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And listen to verse 27. For truly in this city 
they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Can you see the plot here? We have Pontius Pilate, we have Herod, we have the Gentiles, we have the Jews, all people that are naturally at odds with each other, but they are united on this one thing, rebellion against the most holy God and against his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, this is insane, right? This is why the psalmist uh, begins this psalm with the word why, right? There in verse 1. Why do the nations plot in vain? Why do they rage? It is so difficult for the psalmist to believe that the, that the nations would do something like this. While the blessed man in Psalm 1 is meditating on God's word, the wicked men in Psalm 2 are also meditating on how they could overthrow God's government. And I think, friends, these first three verses help us to set our expectations right. The world hates God. People hate God. And Jesus said that they will hate us because they hated him first. So we shouldn't be surprised by any of it. When we see the world being the world, being rebellious against God, hating him, it shouldn't surprise us. In fact, the people in the world, as they are described here, they view this idea of God as bondage. Right? Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from us. They view the idea of God as bondage. So they plot against him. Let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Because rebellious people of the world view the rule and reign of God as bondage. But being free from God for the human being is as being free from the water as a fish can be. Is a three-year-old baby free when separated from her loving parents? Is a budding leaf free when it is plucked from the tree branch? This is why this is ridiculous for the psalmist to perceive that the nations would rage and plot against God. It's ridiculous to be in, in rebellion against God. So that's the first thing we see here, that people in the world hate God. But secondly, verse 4 and 9, we see that God has all the power and all the sovereignty, and he will deal with rebels. And I want us to know this, that God is not up, up somewhere in he heaven, pacing back and forth, scared, shaking, as the nations rage and plot against him. You actually see how he reacts in verse 4. Listen to these words. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. As H.B. Charles says, men's rebellious ways are divine comedy. God laughs not because it's funny, but because these efforts and plots against him will be fruitless. It is funny because it's fruitless. 
don't know if we've ever heard of uh, the Roman emperor Diocletian who persecuted Christians in the mid uh, AD 200s. Diocletian built these monuments, many of them all over Rome, where he said that he had extinguished the name of the Christians and he had abolished the superstition of Christ. I would imagine that most of us in this room have probably never heard of the name Diocletian. While the man was working to extinguish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself eventually died. But you know who still reigns today? You know who still sits on the right hand of God ruling? It is our Lord. He cannot be dethroned. The plots of man, the rages of man, are divine comedy. And we could talk about many, many people that have come before us that have plotted against God that are dead. But our king still sits on the throne. Jesus is still Lord, and Diocletian is dead. Listen to verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. My brothers and sisters, God laughs because he has already set a king in Zion. The kings and the nations of the world are too late. They are coming to participate in a championship competition which has already been won. There is a king already. The king has been set already by God. But where has this king been set? In Zion. Now, this probably doesn't translate to us the same way that it probably translated to the original hearers. As David is writing this, Zion is a piece of real estate which is about 11 acres. It's on the southeast ridge of Jerusalem. Of all places, God says, I've set my king on this 11-acre piece of land in southeast Jerusalem. Of all the places. He plants his kingdom there. And it is from there that it would grow to become what we know it to be today. A tiny banana-shaped hill in a backwater called Judah. It all seems so not glorious. But God has already set a king. Meaning all the plots of man, all the plots of the kings of the world, they are late to the game. There's already someone running this show. God's plan for the sin and rebellion of the world is that he has set a king in Zion, a Messiah, who will crush his enemies in wrath. Oh, save them by his grace. God is not the least bit threatened, the least bit by the leaders and the agencies who try to pretend like he doesn't exist. And one of the ways that he will do this is that his son will inherit the nations. Listen to what the decree of that son uh, is in verse 7. I'll tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. We see a couple things about his reign, the reign of this son, the reign of the king. We see the legitimacy of his reign, right? 
He says there, you are my son. This is the son of the king speaking. The son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a legitimate king. Look at verse 8. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. We see the scope of his reign here. His reign is worldwide. There is no place, there is no piece of land in the whole world that Jesus is not king over. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The gospel will not fail to accomplish its purposes. Rest assured that all through the centuries, the nations that have uh, the nations that we see that have come all through the history of the world have been given as an inheritance to the Son. And you know what? They continue to be given Him today. As men and women commit their lives to serve Him, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, He continues to reign over the nations. As people continue to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise given to Abraham that he will be the father of all nations, including us in this room, continues to be fulfilled. The scope of his reign is worldwide. But look at the force of his reign. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in, the, in pieces like the porter's vessel. Verse 9 only makes make sense in, life of, in light of verse 3. These people want to burst their bones apart. They want to cast their cords away. They continue to oppose the Messiah. And you know what will happen to them? They will experience the forcefulness of his reign when he dashes them to pieces like the porous vessel as he establishes his kingdom. And friends, this, is, this should give us pause, right? We shouldn't rejoice at reading words like this. But people that continue to oppose the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, who extends mercy to him, who continue to throw their fists at him in rebellion, we ought to moan and weep for them. Because he says here, he will dash them to pieces like a porous vessel. Thirdly, verses 10 and 12, the call on us who are in this room, indeed the call on the rest of the world, is that come to him and submit to him. We see that God's plan cannot be changed, it cannot be reversed, it cannot be undone, that God is in complete control and that every event in the universe is under his rule and control. And that God's gospel through his king will accomplish everything that it intended. And that the nations themselves have been given in, as an inheritance to his son. The response that is expected of us is this. Look at verse 10 to, through 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way 
For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If it's true that the people of the world hate God, but if it's true also, as we have seen, that they are too late to the game, their hatred means nothing. He has already set a ruler in Zion. He has set a king in Zion, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If it's also true that he's merciful and kind enough to extend a hand of mercy to them. It means there is urgency to submitting to this king. We see the urgency ex expressed here in verse 12, right? His wrath may soon be kindled. We see not only a God who is powerful and mighty, but also a God who extends mercy. Right? We see a gospel that calls from God's king in Zion. The first time when he came, he came to serve. But the second time when he comes, he will come to judge in his wrath. We see a danger to avoid here in verse 12b, right? Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. There's a danger to avoid. But we see a joy to experience. Verse 12c, blessed are those who take re refuge in him. And friends, in verse 12 there, the idea of kissing the son is an idea of submission. The ancient uh, uh, Near East, a subdued king would kiss the, the feet of a king who, who would have defeated him uh, as a sign of conceding. As a sign of conceding to defeat and as a sign of submitting to them. So here is the admonition. Give your total submission to the son. Kiss the son. Kiss the son. The world is a mess. As we listen, as we see, as we as we talk to people and hear all their fears. We as God people can rest knowing that God has set his king in Zion. And it doesn't matter who is king in the world. It doesn't matter who is president. This king cannot be dethroned. He has been given the nations for his inheritance. And as we continue to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom, and people continue to submit to his reign, his kingdom continues to expand. And if our God is not somewhere in heaven fretting, why do we? Why do we? If God, in, in fact, is sitting on his throne laughing in derision, why do we fret? While his coming may seem to be delayed, we can be guaranteed that he's soon coming. Those who do not submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ before they die, they will unfortunately face his wrath when he comes back.
as Matthew Henry put it, those who will not bow shall break. So who runs this show? Who runs this show? Chaotic as it seems, it is God who has set his king on Zion. And therefore, blessed are those that take refuge in him. Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, as we come before you, humble. Humble because we, we see how you have set a king. You have given us a king in your son. And we see the admonition in this text to submit to him, to kiss the son. Lord, we pray that as your people in this room, not only will we submit to him, but also we will not fret. We will take refuge in you. As the world continues to be crazy, as we watch news, the news, and continue to shake our, our heads, we will not fret because he who sits on the throne laughs in derision. He has set his king in Zion. Lord, we thank you that as your people, we have refuge in you. So be with us. Guide us. Lead us by your spirit until you come. Through your son's name we pray these things. Amen.